Well, it was good. It is good to be with you guys again. Um, Taylor has always been a good friend to us, to our family, and so it's always uh, quite a treat for us to come and to be able to serve you, hopefully, to serve you by teaching the Word together and um, being able to worship together. And so I'm excited to be able to break up your sermon series on 1 Corinthians and uh, have something different for us. Um, When Taylor first asked me to preach and he asked, you know, do you have anything in mind? Of course I didn't. He had just asked me. Um, And as we were praying and thinking about what what could we do? Do we want to just continue this series or should we break it up? Uh, Eventually landing on this text that Tamu just read for us, thank you, um, to consider together what does it look like, what do we do when it seems God's presence is hidden from us? Uh, because it's something very different than the picture that's painted for us in 1 Corinthians. But before I start preaching, before I intend to preach, uh, I'd like to pray for us again real quick. And so if you would indulge me for a moment. Father, we thank you that you have not just given us your written word, but by your spirit we can encounter and know and walk with the living word, Jesus Christ. And we pray, Spirit, that you would make him real to us this morning, that his presence would be felt, that this wouldn't just be uh, an exercise in religious goods and services, but this would really be an extension, an experience of your kingdom. So come, Spirit. And help us to do that. Let this be more than just talking about your written word, but Lord, an experience with you that you would speak to us directly. And we pray, Lord, that you would remove everything that would keep us from encountering you, from responding to you, from knowing you and walking with you and hearing your voice. We pray that we would hear your voice and see your face afresh this morning. And we ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So many years ago, when I was a student in Chicago, I had experienced a pretty terrible breakup. And it had been a horrible relationship that ended even worse. And so I spent a lot of my time just wandering around the city, sort of processing what had happened. And truth be told, was really in more of a a, a dark place that it seemed this heavy blanket of shame just kind of covered me, no matter what I did or where I went, uh, and the, the fact that I was a new student in a Bible college was never lost on me, and yet I, I went around this new city of mine, not exploring, not excited, just feeling like I had no business to be there, and one night I was riding on the brown line towards Kimball, if you know Chicago at all, you know what I'm talking about, and it was just me, one or two other people and this one homeless guy down at the end. And if, if you spent any time in a big city like Chicago, you get to the point to where homeless people are, they're kind of just like part of the furniture. You just get used to it. It doesn't matter how crazy they are. It doesn't matter if they're yelling or sitting there quiet. It doesn't matter if they're dead asleep or anything else. You just kind of get used to it. And this was before iPhones. This was before Spotify. So I was just sitting on the train by myself with all of my thoughts just riding the train, nowhere to go. As the train continued north, a couple of the other people got off. And I got to the stop that I thought, well, I'll get off here. You know, maybe there's a coffee shop that I can go to. 
And as we get closer, this homeless guy that was down at the end of the train starts walking towards me. And not walking in a straight line, but walking as a homeless man who is probably on drugs, maybe intoxicated in some way, would walk towards another person. And as he got closer and closer to me, there was a moment where everything about his demeanor shifted. And this guy that I was convinced was crazy looks me dead in the eye and says, everything's gonna be okay. And then walks off the train. And I'm stunned because plenty of homeless men have said plenty of things to me by this point and nothing like that. And I collect myself, I get off the train, try to look for this guy, I don't know where he went. To this day, I do not know if this homeless man just had a moment of clarity and said something that seemed totally sane to him and yet God used, or if this was something like Hebrews talks about of entertaining angels unaware, I have no idea. But what I do know is that from that moment, that heavy blanket of shame that conviction that wherever I was, God certainly wasn't, was immediately gone. And in the last place I expected, a brown line train that reeked of axle grease and stale urine, I encountered something from God that changed my perspective completely. And so it's not... It's interesting to me that as Taylor and I prayed and considered what would God have me bring to us this morning, that he would want us to pause from a valuable study in 1 Corinthians and instead to consider this story from the life of Jacob. Because here's the, 1 Corinthians is great when we want to consider what does it look like when God's spirit is just filling his church and moving. Because if there's two things that describe the Corinthians church, it's one, that they were empowered, and two, that all of their mess was exposed. Because that's what happens when the Spirit comes on his people. There is great power, but all the mess comes to the surface too. Because that's what God does. But what about those times when it seems whether everything in your life is going the way that you hoped, or everything in your life is going the way that you feared, Either way, you're not sure where God is. What about that? What about those moments? And here in Jacob's life is exactly one of those instances where Jacob has set out to do whatever it takes to get what he wants out of life and stumbles into a place where he had no idea God could be there. And yet it sets him off on a different trajectory for the rest of his life. It doesn't, change, it doesn't solve everything. It doesn't make all of his problems go away. But it does change something for him. So that when he comes to the end of all of these troubles. And the end of all of this conflict. Within his own family. And he finds himself with God again. God can say you're no longer Jacob but Israel. You're no longer the one who fights against me, but you're the one who joins me as we wrestle together. And this is a key moment in Jacob's life. And a key moment for us to consider how we discover God's presence in these unexpected places. In the places that we are convinced if God's anywhere, it's not here. And so let's start 
in verse 10 of Genesis 28, where we're told that Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. He goes in that direction. And we're told not that he came to a particular place. We're not given the name. It's not described to us, but we're just told that he came to a certain place and stayed there. They took one of the stones, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And there he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. Behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And by this point in Jacob's life, he has, this isn't him having lost everything and being sent out. This isn't Joseph's story. He has just come to this place because he has, through his own manipulations and schemings and plans and aspirations, gotten far more for his life than he had started with. He was born in a place of advantage and privilege that both he and his brother had plenty, but for Jacob, it wasn't enough. He needed more. He needed what his brother had, and he would do anything to get it. And the worst part of Jacob's story is that it always worked. And some of you have lived this same life, except you have not yet experienced the point where it stops working. From the time you were 12 or whatever, you had your plan for your life and you got the grades, you knew the answers, you passed the test, you were in the top part of your class, you got into the school that you wanted, you got into the fraternity or the sorority or the program, whatever it was, you got the internship, you got the job, you got the house, you got the spouse, and nothing yet has not worked. And that could be the worst thing that has ever happened to you. Maybe it's the opposite, and we get this. We get it when life doesn't work, when it seems, here's my picture, this is what I wanted, and nothing is happening. We get it when people feel like God's not here. But what I have learned is that being in those places where life doesn't seem to work, you know that you are in this wilderness place. You are already set up then to look for God, to discover where where is he and what is he doing? But if life has always worked the way that you hoped, everything has always gone according to plan, then the great danger for you is to one, believe that it always will, and two, what will happen to your heart when it stops? Because when things are going well and always going well and always working according to plan, we don't even think that we need God. We never stop to consider if God is in this or not because things just work. Isn't that what we all want? For Jacob, everything had always worked. He got what he wanted, always. And yet here now when he is on this journey going to live with his uncle, he can't make the journey in a single night. He has to stop. In this in-between place, he has to pause. He has to pause in this place where things don't work. I don't know if you've ever tried to sleep on a rock. It's not comfortable. It's not comfortable at all. And the fact that he dreams at all is in of itself miraculous. And yet here in this in-between place, for a man who had everything, and the first time in his life is forced to stop. 
is forced to sit, to sleep in the wilderness, a place that at this point in the story doesn't even have a name. It's like driving across Texas and stopping in those places that you think, I don't, I don't think I can tell anybody where I am. I have no, I, the last sign I saw for a city was 20 miles away. I don't know where I am. In these in-between places, we have to do what Jacob does, which is embrace it. We have to embrace it. Because Jacob, if he's anything, is not a man who gives up quickly. He has to keep going and pushing and fighting, and yet for the first time in his life, he has to stop. He has to lay down. He has to admit I can't go any further today. This is it. And it's when he embraces that, when he embraces this in-between place, he has a dream. And in this dream, it's described for us that there's this ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And probably like me, when you hear this, you think of like an aluminum ladder that your dad would pull out of the, garden, out of the garage and like it's just this straight line up to heaven. More than likely what this is, if you've ever been to Mexico or visited places that still have these ancient ruined temples, it's likely this picture that he has is like one of those temples with the staircase going ever higher until it reaches the top where the gods were supposed to live. It's also possible that this language of a ladder is actually better described as the gate of a city. Like in those ancient cities that had these massive impenetrable walls, but they had these places that would open up and so people could come and go in and out of the city. Either way, whichever one that it is, Jacob would know immediately because both of these things would be familiar to him. And yet also, what is so incredible about it is that in this in-between place, in this unnamed place, what Jacob is allowed to recognize is that this is the very entrance to the dwelling place of God. The last place I expected, the last place I ever thought I would encounter the living God is here in this in-between place. And whether your life is going exactly the way that you want it or nothing at all, the in-between place are the places in our lives when we get the clearest picture when we can have the most profound encounters with the dwelling place of God, when we are invited to draw nearer into his presence. And yet the great twist of the story is, is not even that, not even what I just said. What I should have said is that in this in-between place, God draws nearer to Jacob. Because look at how the story continues in verse 13. With these angels going in and out, up and down, depending on what it was that was intended. Verse 13, behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you will spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, 
Surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. Because no sooner does Jacob embrace this in-between place that he then has to allow God to speak to him his promises. It's not that Jacob goes out and tries to remember, what, oh God, what was it that you said to my dad and my grand, what, uh, help me remember, oh, I know, let, let me tell you what you, Jacob doesn't even say a word. And God begins to remind him, Jacob, you know who I am. You know where you are in this story of mine and I am going to reiterate the same promise that I gave to your father and to your grandfather and to the father of us all before that. This is my promise for you. And the other mistake that we can make when we are in these in-between places of life, we can start to tell God what he's doing. Whether we're angry and bitter or upset and confused and we're trying to tell him what he's doing and why it's so terrible, or we're just already convinced. Yeah, I, I know, like I, I've read this and I've read the theology books. God, I, I know what you're doing. Here's what you're doing. Okay, help me to just embrace that. The great temptation for us is to tell God what he's doing rather than stopping and being quiet long enough to let God tell us what he's up to. This is the problem when we're convinced that we know more than we do or that we know God better than we do. And it's in these in-between places where we encounter the real God, the living God, that if we will just let him do what he wants to do, he will bring us deeper and show us more than we could have ever figured out on our own. Even if we have had the best teachers and the sharpest minds, we would never be able to tell God what he would have us to know. But in these in-between places, the hard part is that the sitting and the waiting. Because we're in a hurry. We want the disappointment to stop. We need our life to get back on, on the plan. We definitely don't want God to tell, to tell us, we're gonna change the plan entirely. And I'm gonna give you a different picture, right? Because we like our pictures. Our pictures are nice. They get lots of traffic on Instagram. They're good pictures. And here's the thing. God's not out to trash your picture for your life. God's not out to tell you why all of your ideas and hopes and aspirations for your life are terrible. God doesn't speak to us like that. No good father speaks to his kids with that kind of condescension or contempt. God speaks to us not saying your plan is terrible. If he says anything like that at all, it's simply, I want to give you a bigger picture a better plan. And I don't want to watch you go through life convinced that this next part of my picture, that's when everything will fall into place. Because the picture God offers is far better, is far more compelling, far more beautiful and significant than any of us could dream up on our own. 
that any of us could engineer, even if we have all of the connections and all of the advantages and all of the right things in the right place at the right time, what God offers us is far greater and far better and far more beautiful, but we have to stop long enough to let him listen, to let ourselves listen to him. to embrace this in-between place, to trust that our God knows where we are. He knows what our needs are. He knows that constant tension that we feel inside of ourselves that only seems to go away when I'm asleep. The problem with sleep is that it goes way too fast. We ourselves have been experiencing some of this lately as uh, as I thought I would spend my life in vocational ministry, and now as of a couple weeks ago, find myself working in commercial real estate, most days going, I'm not, I, don't know, I don't know what I'm doing here. And yet, as I look back and I recognize the hand of God moving us along and remember the times that, not always by my own choosing, but having the patience to sit and listen to what God might have. That maybe what he wants to do certainly is different, but maybe it could be better. Maybe he, maybe he could get me to where I had always thought that he was going to take me, but the way that he wants to go is far different. And the funny thing is, even though in some days I... I have to swallow my pride a bit because most of the people I'm working with have been in this industry for so long. And there's so much that I don't know. I don't even know what I don't know yet. And yet, all of the multiple ways I have had opportunities to have conversations with people that may not directly have anything to do with God or church or religion or anything. And yet, as soon as someone finds out that you used to be a pastor, it's funny what they start to tell you. Used to be. When they tell you you're still a pastor, conversation goes differently. But used to be, okay, you're one of us, let me tell you. <laughs> and several, several weeks ago, I was in one of these places where God just forced me to stop and forced me to sit and forced me to wait. And I was sitting in my car where this usually tends to happen. I had this picture in my heart of exactly what I have experienced in the last couple days. Doing more ministry, being out of ministry. And I thought to myself, God, if that's where we're going, then let's, let's do that. And it happened only after years of doing it the other way. Of trying to tell God, hey, this is what we're up to. This is where we need to go, God. So kind of get on it, get with it. And only after I got to the point where I could finally stop and finally stop telling God, this is the plan, why aren't you getting on board? To sit long enough and wait long enough and listen carefully enough to hear God say, didn't I promise you 16 years ago, sitting on that log in West Virginia, that I wanted to use you? Why are you fighting me? because I had been fighting him for 16 years. No, God, it has to look like this. Ministry has to go like this. 
And it's when we embrace these in-between places and we sit long enough, we're silent long enough, and we can resist the urge to tell God, this is what you have to do. That he will start to remind us of who he is. And he will give us a picture. This is what I'm gonna do for you. Jacob in this in-between place is given a picture, not just that everything's gonna go great. But Jacob, you are sitting here alone, asleep. And when I bring you back, you will not come back alone. You will come back with far more people with you, with far more gifts, with far more provision, and far more stories of all of the wonderful things that I have promised to do for you. Those will be a reality. And the response for us and the response for Jacob is simply to remember. Jacob astounded. As he says in verse 16, that surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. Surely God is in this place. And we didn't know it. So Jacob was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. The place that he was so afraid of becomes the front door to the kingdom of God. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar. He poured oil on the top of it and he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. But Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, he will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you gave me, I will give a full tenth to you. And I wonder if in the reading of that, you caught the irony. Jacob has this incredible realization that God is here. I didn't even know it. I'm gonna set up this pillar so that I will never forget. And do you, listen, listen as we read this again, what, what he said, if God's gonna stay true to his promise, listen to Jacob, how does he describe the promise of God? Simply that if he'll go with me, that if he'll keep me, he'll give me food to eat and clothing to wear. Jacob is trying to remember, but he is remembering very, very poorly. Because God didn't say, hey, I'm just gonna be with you and make sure you're not naked or starving. What he promised him so much more. He promised him the land. He promised him offspring. He promised him families and that through them, the world would be blessed. And all Jacob can remember is that God's, Okay, God said that like he wouldn't, he wouldn't leave me alone and I won't be naked or hungry. This is the most human thing I can possibly imagine. Because how often do you and I, recalling the promises of God, that he has made us children, co-heirs with Christ, Christ is our brother, that everything that belongs to Jesus has been and will be given to us. And yet we still have those moments when life is either going our way or not going our way, where we think that we're, we're asking a lot, maybe we're stepping on his toes to say, hey God, can you just, can you make sure that like our basics are covered? 
when he has promised us so much more than that. When he has promised us something far greater than that. And we take God's huge promises that he on his own initiative has said, I am going to give this to you. And we go, God, just, but like this little piece, like I feel like you're, I feel like you're slipping. Like don't, this, this part, I need you to remember that. And the wonderful thing, God doesn't get angry. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't rebuke Jacob. This story is, is presented to us as both a, a, a positive symbol of, of faith, that Jacob, for all of his imperfections, all of his wrestling against God and people, he still has the faith to say, I, I don't want to forget what God has done. And I don't want to forget what God has promised. So I'm going to turn this pillow into a pillar so that every time I walk by this place, I'll remember. And yet Jacob is also presented as any other person like you and I who takes God's huge promises and thinks we're, we're presuming on God to give us this. That we're asking too much of him to keep this part. When God has already done so much and proven so much and accomplished so much. When it's not just a generation or two later. That these promises that God gave to Jacob have come to fruition. And this man who is sleeping alone in a desert now has dozens and hundreds and thousands and millions of descendants that eventually come back to this place. And that as this one promise is given to this generation with each one, God as it moves through the scriptures, God is adding to this promise and building it so that it's so much more than just this little piece of a little place of land in one part of the globe. But that the promise God makes to us, the promise that he seals with his own body and his own blood is that not just this little piece, not just your smallest needs, but everything will be ours together. You won't just have one or two people that you feel like you belong with, but the entire universe will be filled with people who belong to each other as brothers and sisters, never to fall away. That you won't just have one little place to live, but you will have a place in a city that covers the cosmos. Will be as much yours as the person next to you as Christ himself. That he won't just get you through this life that he will be with you every step of the way. Whether you are crushed or exalted, he will walk with you as the one who knows exactly what it's like to have his body crushed and to be exalted through suffering. And that the way to join him is through that path, but unlike him, you never have to walk alone. Father, we thank you that because of Jesus, we never have to live this life of faith or walk through this in-between place alone. That because 
of Christ. We never have to wonder if you have forgotten your promises. We never have to guess, God, what, what is it you're up to in this world? And can I expect it, that you would tell me, that you would show me what my place in it is? Because, God, you've drawn so near to us. You have proven yourself faithful to your promises, not just to keep your promises, but to remove everything that keeps us from embracing your promises. So God, help us now to embrace the season wherever we are, but God, open our eyes. Open our eyes, especially especially if we're in a season where we're convinced God's not here. Help us, God, to see you, to hear your voice, that you would show us and remind us what it is you're up to in our place in your story that we would never forget. That we would remember that we are people of your promise and your promises are sure. Even as we turn to them now, Lord, in the greatest expression of your faithfulness to your promises that we can hold in our hands, that we can taste in our mouths, that we can feel to fill our stomachs. Lord, let your grace fill these elements and remind us of the greatest of your promises, that even the sin that separates us has been destroyed. So Spirit, continue to do your work. Continue to make Jesus real to us. Now at this point, as ever, in our time gathered together, And go with us in the name of Jesus. Amen.